0: Revelation 5. All right, let's pray. And ask the Lord to bless our time together this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for this um, sweet morning together, being with you. Lord, gathering to worship you, to bring you honor and praise and thanks. And Lord, to have the privilege, the honor, the amazing blessing of being able to open your word and to have you minister to our hearts and so as we settle our hearts before you now would you speak to us, meet us right where we're at you know exactly what we need to hear this morning thank you that you love us, you cherish us and thank you for how you nourish us we look forward to all the great things that you're going to do this morning we praise you we thank you and it's in your precious and your holy name, Lord Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And so before we get into our Bible study, uh, tonight's service, worship service at 5, is postponed till next week because of Father's Day. So just a heads up, read ahead. We are in Revelation chapter 8 in that study. So just to give you guys a heads up on that, we are in Revelation 5, though, this morning. And um, remember where we came from. Revelation means what? Revelation means... Revealing, unveiling, uncovering. It is the revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Jesus is being unveiled for us, revealed to us. God wants us to see Jesus in a fresh way, in a new way. Jesus in all of his majesty, all of his beauty, all of his glory. And and hasn't that happened as we've studied this book? I don't know about you, but for me it's been like, wow, and like, wow, and seeing Jesus again in a fresh way and... And, and really understanding his heart and who he is and his ways. And it's, it's no different this morning as we look at chapter 5. We get to go to heaven again this morning. We get another snapshot of heaven. You will be, if you know Jesus Christ this morning, you will be in this scene in chapter 5. I don't think the book of Revelation is that hard to understand. That's my own opinion. I know some, some of you agree it hasn't been that hard. Why do I believe it's not hard to understand? Because Jesus gives us a divine outline in chapter, chapter 1, verse 19. Jesus gives us an outline to help us to understand this book. Remember, it was John the Apostle who received the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus told him in chapter, nine, chapter 1, verse 19, to write down the things which you have seen. Number one. Number two, the things which are. And number three, the things which will take place after this. So, first part of our outline, the things which you have seen. What did John see in chapter 1? Who did, who did John see? Jesus, right? High and lifted up, glorious, Resurrected, right? That's the first part of our outline. The second part, Jesus had to write down the things which are. That was chapter two and chapter three. Jesus gave report cards to who? The churches. Seven churches, right? Seven literal historical churches that existed during John's day, and yet we can find ourselves in any one of those churches throughout church history. Those churches you can find, you can find yourself corporately or individually. Um, in, in, in one of those churches or in your life personally. And so then chapter four begins the things which will take place after this. Chapter four, all the way to chapter 20, 22, all the way through. That's the next part of our outline, which we're looking at right now. Chapter four and chapter five, the church is in where? Where's the church at? Galveston? <laughs> Where's the church at? We're in where? And we're in heaven. Chapter 6 through chapter 19 is the tribulation. The tribulation lasts how long? Seven years. years. And guess what? Chapter 4 and chapter 5 always precede chapter 6. The church is in heaven before the tribulation happens. How do we get there? What's that event called? The rapture of the church. Jesus comes for his bride. We meet him in the air. He takes us to the place that he's preparing for us right now. Chapter 6 through 19, the church is no longer mentioned on planet earth. There will be a time of serious, serious tribulation on this earth. And what will happen? There will be people that that's what it takes to surrender to Jesus heaviness, tribulation, difficulty, where they will surrender to Jesus Christ. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Also, Jesus deals with the nation of Israel um, as well. Very important to understand that, that God is not through with the Jew. During that tribulation period, Jesus will deal with the nation of Israel. Also, wickedness and wicked ones will be removed, and Jesus will bring the glory of heaven to this earth. That's what we find in chapter 19. Jesus comes, right? His second coming to this earth. Who's with him, by the way? The bride, us, right? What are we riding? We're riding horses, isn't that cool? We're going to cruise in with Jesus. He's going to set up his kingdom, chapter 20, for how long? thousand years, thank you, or the millennial kingdom. Awesome. That's chapter 20. Chapter 21 and chapter 22, we find the new heaven and the new earth, right? And we live happily ever after. Not hard, is it? You just follow the divine outline. Correct? And not only that, there's 550 references to the Old Testament to help us out. The best commentary, I believe, for the Bible is the Bible itself. And so very important, as we consider that, chapter five, the church is in heaven. Let's see what God's word says. Chapter five, verse one. John is describing what he sees, and it says in verse one of chapter five. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And no one in heaven Or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So let me draw your attention to verse 1. What does John see? Look what it says. It says there, I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne. We saw this a couple weeks ago, right? John gets this vision of heaven. He gets this supernatural transport into heaven and he gets to see this amazing scene, what's happening. It was God the Father sitting on the throne. You guys remember how he described him? Back in chapter 4, verse 3, and he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And so John is trying to do the best he can to describe God, right? We, We know that no one has seen God at any time. And so yet in all of this, John is doing his best to describe God the Father on the throne. And he sees in his right hand, the right hand represents what, by the way? Power, strength, Authority, right? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. And in his right hand, what's in his right hand? What does it say? A scroll. And so we don't often see scrolls today, do we? Do you guys, anybody in business here, use scrolls? We don't see those very often. But for John, listen, this would be a very familiar sight for him. In fact, in, that, in the Roman culture, remember the Romans had conquered much of the known world at that time. In Roman culture, when you would have a will that was for your, when you died, you had a will that was made up, it would be a scroll sealed with seven seals and only the oldest son could open that scroll. And so some believe the scroll then would be God's will, His final settlement of the affairs of the universe. Some view it that way. However, from a Jewish perspective, you guys remember throughout the Old Testament, we see um, different examples of scrolls. If you're taking notes this morning, Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah chapter 32 is one example. We see a scroll. When the children of Israel came into the promised land, each family was given what as an inheritance? What would they. They give them like four by four diesel trucks. What were they giving you guys? Come on. They were given land. Thank you. They were given land, right? And that land was to be passed on from generation to generation. That was their most important possession that they had. God allotted them a piece of land, a piece of property that would be, that would be passed on from generation to generation. However, if you got in, if you got in trouble financially, and you were foreclosed on your business. You you couldn't. Uh, you got in debt. You lost your land. There was a clause. Listen, there was a clause in your contract for your land. It was called the redemption clause. That if you were foreclosed, foreclosed on, lost your land, you would have the opportunity to purchase it back. And so two scrolls were written up. One scroll was an open scroll. You as the owner or the seller of the land would write up a contract with the buyer, and that scroll was an open scroll. You would hold on to that thing in case one day you were able to buy back your land. The other scroll was sealed up and put away, hidden away. And so when you came to to redeem your land, they would bring out that scroll and they would check it out, and then that land would come back to you. You'd be able to purchase it back. I believe, listen, what we're seeing here is the title deed to planet Earth. The title deed to planet Earth. What do you mean by that? Well, God created, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Who did God give dominion to? Adam, right? He gave him dominion. But what happened? Adam transgressed. He sent Eve, was deceived, and Adam transgressed. You guys remember that? They took the fruit they weren't supposed to eat, and they took it, they ate it. Sin entered in. Dominion was passed over to... Do you guys know To Satan, to the devil. How do you know that, Pastor? 1 John chapter 5 says, the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You guys remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness? You guys remember that? In Matthew's Gospel, the third temptation that happened to him, remember the devil took Jesus up on a high what? High mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of this earth and said what? These are all yours if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus didn't contest that. He didn't contest that that, that the devil could give him that. Satan was offering a shortcut to to, to not go the way of the cross, not do the Father's will, do it your own way, and you can have that same temptation is around today too, by the way. But Jesus said what? You shall worship the Lord your God only, and him shall you serve And so that offer was made, and as we consider that this morning, the cost of redeeming the earth was the blood of Jesus Christ. When he gave his life, he paid the price of redemption for the earth. In fact, Jesus talked about two parables. Remember the the parable of of the, the treasure the man finds in a field? You guys remember that? And what does that man do? He goes and he buys the whole field in order to have not only the field, but to have the treasure also. Guess what the treasure is? It's you guys, the pearl of great price, right? That man did what he could to redeem, to purchase that pearl of great price. Jesus is the one who's made redemption possible. But the thing is, he hasn't taken possession of the earth. That will take place at the end of the tribulation. And so something to think about this morning. In any event, look what happens. uh, John sees this scroll and then he hears something. Look at verse 2. Then I saw a strong angel. And what was the angel doing? Proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy? It's a question. Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? So John sees what? this str- It's a strong angel. We see lots of angels in Revelation. I don't know if this one was like really buff, tank top, showing off his hammers. But it's a strong angel who's crying out, who is worthy? To open this scroll, or to what? Or what does it say? And to loose its seals. And it says in the next verse, and no one, there's a problem, no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or, check this out, or to look at it. So there's a problem. There's no one that's worthy. In all of the universe, everywhere, no one is able to open it or even look at it. It seems to be a plea. It seems to be a cry. And then John does what? Look at the next verse. John is heartbroken. So I wept much. In other words, it means he was sobbing. He was sobbing convulsively. When's the last time you sobbed convulsively? He is crying. Why? Why was he crying? Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Why is he crying, you guys? Because Listen, because planet Earth is going to continue in the condition that it is in, unless someone can step in and do what needs to be done, the curse would continue. Listen, this planet has fallen, you guys. This planet is jacked up, isn't it? Is it getting better and better? It's getting worse and worse and worse and things are going to get much worse. Jesus Jesus spoke about those birth pangs ramping up the closer we get to his setting up of his kingdom. And so he's weeping, he's discouraged, but I love this, one of the elders speaks to John, a fellow believer, remember the elders are the believers in heaven, that's us, comes up to John and says, do not weep, stop crying, behold Behold means check it out. Set your gaze upon, look at, put your focus upon, number one, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Who is that? That's Jesus. That's an Old Testament reference, you guys. If you're taking notes, Genesis 49. It's a reference back. Genesis chapter 49. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. And also the root. What does it say? He's also called the root of... David. It speaks of Jesus is the originator. That's what a root is. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the first part of that plant. It's the, it's the, or, or, he's the originator of the lineage of David. This is so important because the Messiah, the Savior of the world, was to come from the Jewish people. Correct? Isn't that what the Old Testament scriptures teach us? He was to be from the tribe of Judah from the line of David, but it says here he's the originator the root of David. That's so beautiful. He was David's creator Later, he'll say in revelation. Jesus will say later in revelation 22 that he is the root and the offspring of David How can he be both the root and the offspring? only if he's eternal right so important here and so John is told by this angel or by this elder. Hey, stop crying Because the lion has prevailed. The root has prevailed. What does prevailed mean? It means to conquer. It means to win. To be completely victorious. Listen, only one who is completely victorious, only one who is worthy can open the scroll and loose its seals. How was Jesus victorious? How did he prevail, you guys? When he laid down his life, when he gave his life for us, when he came and died on the cross, He willingly gave his life for you and for me to redeem us, to purchase us, to grant us life. Jesus won the war, and we get to walk in the victory, don't we? Are you with me this morning? The Bible says we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jesus alone is qualified to bring about this restoration of the earth and bring the glory of heaven. Well, notice though, notice the elder says this The one who's worthy, the one who's prevailed, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And then what does John do? He turns and looks, and what does he see? Does he see a roaring lion? What does he see in the next verse? What does it say? And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures right in the middle, right in the center, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. John looks, and what does he see? Literally, it's a little, it's a little delicate, vulnerable lamb, with with literally the marks of slaughter on it. Who's the Lamb of God? Jesus. John said, John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, "Behold, the Lamb of God, who what takes away the sin of the world." So, who is the one who has prevailed? The one who has conquered? It's the Lamb. The Lamb of God. Jesus is presented as a Lamb because He was the one who has redeemed. There is only one Savior, correct? God alone did the work. Isaiah 63, verse 5, God said, I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me. It's only the Lord that can bring salvation to you or to me. It's by his arm. He's rescued us and saved us. But look what it says there. It says, a lamb as though it had been slain. Again, bearing the marks of slaughter. Those marks of slaughter are still fresh. Isn't that interesting? Listen, is, is his sacrifice still fresh to you? What he's done for you? I think for some of us, we can. There's an old Pentecostal saying, it's called gospel hardened. You've become hardened to the gospel. You've become hardened to the cross. In heaven, those marks are still fresh. For all eternity, there'll be times we look at Jesus and see those fresh marks of slaughter that are still on him, reminding us of the price he paid to save you and me. By this we know, love, that he gave his life for us. Where is the lamb? Where is Jesus in this scene? He's right in the center, isn't he? He so he's right in the midst of the elders, of the angels. He's right in the midst, in the middle of it all. He's right at the center. He's right in the center, we learned earlier. He's right in the center of the churches. Jesus said, where two or three or more are gathered in my name. Where is he? He's right in the center. Is Jesus in the center of your life this morning? Is he right in the center? What does your life revolve around? Does it revolve around Jesus? That's an amen. Thank you. That's a good job. That is exactly where Jesus should be, right at the center of your life. What do you spend your time thinking about? Doing with your time. Spending your money. What consumes your attention? Do you spend your time serving him? Is Jesus right at the center of your life? Is he number one? Listen, I share with people all the time, if you make Jesus number one, everything's going to work out. Because that's his rightful place, is right at the center of everything. Is he at the center of your life this morning? I th- it's interesting, too, he's, it's mentioned here that he has seven horns. Seven is the number of completion. Horns in the Bible speak of power. It means Jesus has all power. Seven, what else? Seven eyes, which are the sp- seven spirits of God. It means he completely sees he, he is completely omniscient. He knows everything that's going on. He sees everything that's going on. And I think there's something here for us also that we can apply in our own lives. We see that we see Jesus, there's humility. He's the lamb. There's humility, there's gentleness. There's sacrificial love laying down his life also. That's how He prevailed. Doesn't say as, as the lion, he prevailed, but as the lamb. He prevailed. How are you going to prevail? In your marriage? In life? In the things that you do? It's not as a lion overpowering people, strong-arming people. It's with gentleness. It's with humility. It's by being sacrificial in your life, laying down your life. Jesus said to the Apostle Paul, my grace is... Sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. But so often we try to be the lion, don't we? I'm going to fix this thing with my strength. I'm going to overpower this thing. I can do it, man. Or with, or with our kids. We could be, we could be lo- or lionesses. Lions are lionesses. Right? And it's like the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Jesus was gentle and lowly in heart. A gentle word turns away wrath, the Bible says. And so we come in broken. That's how we experience His resurrection power is in brokenness, in humility, in laying down my life. We think if we do that, we're going to get stepped upon and crushed. And and the the Lord says, no, that's how you will conquer. That's how you're going to experience victory. By His Spirit, doing it Jesus' way. And so we see it's the Lamb is the one who's provided the victory that we walk in. And then notice what happens next with me. It says in verse 7, Then he came, speaking of Jesus, the Lamb, and took the scroll out of the right hand of him, who sat on the throne. The son comes and takes the scroll out of the father's hand. Anybody remember George Foreman? Some of you guys are like, yeah, I got one of those grills, man. Those are killers. (laughs) Before he started making grills, he was a boxer. Like a champ, heavyweight champ, right? There was one fight that he won, and if you watch the old films, they still have it. He wins this fight, knocks the dude out. And afterwards, everybody's around him. He's, he's surrounded by people. There's microphones and people are trying to interview him. And around his neck, he's got this towel you know, to wipe off the sweat. And he's there talking and giving interviews. And all of a sudden, you see this little hand reach up and grab the towel from his neck. You know what he does? He turns to see who's going to take his towel, and it's his little boy. And, and he went, okay, take it. Because only the Son could take the towel from the Father. And in our scene here, it's only the Son who can take the scroll from our Heavenly Father. He's the only one. No one else. He is worthy. And so, this taking of the scroll, this is such an important, this is like a monumental thing that happens after the taking of this scroll. First of all, look what happens with me in the next few verses. Because chapter six all the way through 19, we're going to see everything has to do with this scroll, the opening of this scroll. So it's take Jesus takes the scroll, he's got it, and it kicks off some worship. Check this out. Look at verse uh, where are we at verse eight. Verse eight it says, "Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp." and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So notice this, it's a cue. So, so listen, you're going to be in this scene. If you're, if you're a Christian this morning, you're born again, you're trusting in Jesus, you will be in this scene, and we're going to sing a song. There's a song that's going to be sung in just a moment. You need to know this song, because when you get to heaven, you will be singing it, and if you don't know the words, don't say you went to Calvary Chapel, West Houston. Say you went to Calvary Galveston. That's where I that's where I was from. That's where I went. Because you need to know this is a cue. When you see the scroll taken by Jesus from the Father, it's a cue for us. We bow down before the Lord, right? We fall down before Him, each of us having a harp. Isn't that interesting? Later they're called the harps of God. We're gonna be playing harps in heaven. I think they're gonna have distortion and metal, you know, maybe. Uh, but simply worship in heaven is, accom- is accompanied by music and instruments um, one of our ladies in our church talked to me after church and she said she plays the harp and uh, they showed me a p- the husband and wife showed me a picture this thing is like ginormous It's <laughs> 70 pounds and I'm like I don't know if it's going to be I think they're going to be a little little uh, smaller personally that's my own opinion it's, can't, it's tough to haul around 70 pounds we'll be, have new bodies though won't we <laughs> And so I think it represents praise, though. And then what else do we have? Golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And, and throughout the Scriptures, we see this connection between prayer and incense, don't we? Correct? We see this connection between prayer and incense. Incense represents prayer. Incense rises. Anybody here like, like incense? Does anybody here burn incense in their house? Nobody? You got any old hippies here? (laughs) I burn incense in my house. I love it. It smells awesome. It fills the room. It sticks to your clothes. Smells great. And so think about that. I mean, think about that whole picture of our prayers rise up to the edge of the universe, go straight into the throne room. They smell awesome to our Heavenly Father, and they attach to his heart. That's a beautiful picture of our prayers you know what that means, you guys? The Lord hears your prayers. He doesn't forget about your prayers. Don't you, parents, do you, do you guys like when your kids talk to you? Sort of. <laughs> I love it. I love hearing their little voices, spending time with them. You guys pray? This is, the pic- this is a picture of prayer, the incense that rises. He knows your prayers. He hears your prayers. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> He hears your prayer. He doesn't forget what you've prayed. There's a picture of this in Luke chapter one. You guys remember Zechariah and Elizabeth? John the Baptist, mom and dad. You guys remember they couldn't have a baby? They were past the years of childbearing. They were childless. Zechariah's number comes up to do what? To serve in the temple. The hour of prayer, the burning of the incense. He goes in, angel shows up. And what does the angel say? You're going to have a kid. Your prayer has been heard. What prayer? I prayed that prayer 50 years ago. We begged and pleaded with God that we would have a child, that, we could, that, that, that this stigma would be removed from us. There's something wrong with us. We can't have a kid, that that would be removed from us, and yet God heard their prayers. Listen, God hears your prayers this morning. Let me, I'm going to go on a bunny trail this morning about our Prayers. 1 John 5. Listen to what it says in 1 John 5. This is the confidence that we have in Him. Do you have confidence in God this morning? This is the confidence that we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. That's huge. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of Him. Isn't that beautiful? Keep praying. And according to his sovereign will, he will answer. You keep praying. And I think also, we pray the Our Father, don't we? You guys know the Our Father prayer? Some of you listen to KSBJ Noontime. They they do that Our Father prayer. You guys know what I'm talking about? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next part? Thy kingdom come. That prayer is going to be answered. That prayer will be answered. The Lord's kingdom will come. It will be set up. His kingdom, and listen, we've demonstrated we cannot rule ourselves. Whether it's a dictatorship, whether it's communism, whether it's capitalism, whether it's what we got going here, we have demonstrated we cannot rule ourselves. We are in need of his rulership, his leadership, being submitted to him. And one day that will be a reality when his kingdom does come. Can I point out one more thing here in this verse? I think it's important. Worship is a means by which we commune with God. But notice that praise should include prayer too. Praise and prayer go together here. Because look at the next, look at the praise. Look at the song that we're going to be singing. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals why for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth isn't that a beautiful song you guys who can sing this song Only saved people can sing this song, you guys. Because it talks about that we've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Angels can't say that. They haven't been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a new song, and it speaks of the Lamb being worthy. The Lamb is worthy for three reasons. What does it say? Look at the first reason. Number one, for, for is a reason word, for you were slain. You gave your life. He is worthy because why? Because he gave his life. Only you, Lord, are qualified to fix the earth because you gave your life. You became one of us, came and died and gave your life and rose again from the dead. You are worthy, number one, because you gave your life. Number two, why is he worthy? Because he has redeemed us to God by his blood out of every tribe, nation, tongue, and so forth. What was the cost to purchase you and me? It was his precious blood, his life. He poured out his life to purchase us, to buy us. That's what redeemed means. Redeemed means to purchase, to buy, to transfer from one master to another. First Peter, are you taking notes this morning? First Peter, chapter one. Peter writes in verse 18. He said, "Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things." Like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Are you taking notes this morning? Colossians 1, verse 13 and 14. He, speaking of Jesus, we've been delivered. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us. Or transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Are you grateful for that? You've been set free. You've been purchased. The Bible says in Ephesians 1-7, are you taking notes this morning? In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. It's by the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Listen, how powerful is the blood of Jesus? How powerful is his blood? He's he's removed the penalty of sin in your life. He's destroyed the power, his blood has destroyed the power of sin in your life. Not only are you cleansed and forgiven, you now stand righteous before God because of the blood. You've been liberated, you've been set free. We've been set free. The power of his blood, he's able to set us free from every prison, every addiction to bring healing and help to our lives that are so jacked up and messed up. It's only by his blood because of what he has done. You belong to God because of what? Because of his rule and his reign in your life. You've surrendered to him. He is your Lord and your Savior. An amazing transaction has taken place because of the blood of Jesus and your trust in him. It's awesome. Notice also something there. He's redeemed us to God by his blood out of every... Tribe and tongue and people and nation. You know what that means? God is equal opportunity. The Lord wants to save everybody, you guys. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And the sad thing is, there will be some people that reject the sacrifice. And if you're here this morning and you're listening, And you've never opened your heart to Jesus, surrendered to him. He loves you and demonstrated his love for you by dying on a cross for your sins. To pay the penalty for your sins in his life's blood. We've all sinned and fall short of God's glory. We're all guilty in God's courtroom. And God wants you to be with him. And that's why he sent his son to die. to pay the price for your sins, to bring us into a right relationship with him, that we could spend eternity with him. But if you reject him, listen, if you reject Jesus this morning, this is the best it's ever going to be for you, is planet earth. The worst is yet to come. I say that with a broken heart, beseeching you to come to Jesus today, to turn from the direction you're headed and to repent and trust in Jesus Christ. For us that are believers, the best is yet to come, you guys. This is the worst it'll ever be on planet Earth. And it may get worse here in the United States. Persecution may get pretty gnarly. And listen, if you give your life to Jesus, it may get worse. You may not get your best life now. It may get worse. But the best is yet to come. And it's this scene that we're looking at where you will be in heaven for all eternity. How long is eternity? You ever thought about that? It goes on and on and on. And we're going to be, the Bible says, Ephesians, we're going to be blown away by the different facets of his grace. Oh, that's awesome. Wow, that's so awesome. Heaven will not be boring. You're not going to need your iPhone. It's going to be awesome playing games. i got to play this, whatever this game is, Fitting things and blocks and you just could be like tripping out on just the colors for a millennium. <laughs> Whoa, man. I mean, think about creation out. We live in a fallen creation. How awesome is it? I mean, we got surf camp coming up, riding some waves, and you go on vacation, you go somewhere, check out God's killer creation. How about just have you thought about, thought about food? God's given us taste buds to taste food. It tastes so great and so awesome. He's given us so many good things, yet we live in a fallen, we live in a fallen world. Can you imagine what it's gonna be like when it's perfect? Can you imagine your body? Your teeth, my teeth are like jacked up. I can't believe I made it through the trip with jacked up teeth. Pray for me, I gotta go to the dentist tomorrow but having perfect teeth for all eternity. (laughs) No more root canals, no more getting him yanked and other stuff put in or whatever. I think about my son, you know, no more being trapped in a body with cerebral palsy. Being able to run freely and to be able to speak freely. And How cool is that going to be? Guys, the best is yet to come. We're in this scene because of what Jesus did. He is worthy. We're not worthy. I mean, that's a good thing to be reminded of. We're not worthy because some people say, oh, I'm not worthy. You're right. Get over it. No one is. He's worthy. Or some people kind of walk around like I'm worthy, man. You ain't worthy. There's only one worthy. It's Jesus. He's the worthy one. He's the one worthy of our worship, our adoration, our praise and not only that he's worthy because he's made us what look what it says and he's made us kings and priests to our god that listen that's a reality right now peter said that we are a royal we're a we're a royal kingdom a royal priesthood it says in chapter 1 of revelation verse 5 and 6 that he's already he loved us and washed us from our sins and made us already kings and priests I think that's pretty cool. He's made us royalty. He's the one who did. We don't make ourselves royalty. We don't make ourselves priests. We don't assign ourselves a position. It's the Lord who does it because he is worthy, because he gave his life. We get to participate also. Look at the end of verse 10. We get to participate one day. When he reigns, we're going to reign with him on earth. Isn't that beautiful? What's that look like? I have no clue, but I'm excited. To reign with Jesus. Then I looked, verse 11, we finish here. Then I looked and I heard the voice, notice singular voice, of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000, and a thousand of thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, singular, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Listen, all heaven worships Jesus. And heaven, you know what this tells me? Heaven's going to be crowded. (laughs) 10,000, by the way, was the highest numerical value in Greek. So, what, what John is saying here is the highest number I can think of times the highest number I can think of times a thousand. When he sees all the people, all the angels, all this scene going down, you know what that tells me? The Father wants his house filled. And notice it's not voices. I heard the voices of many angels, the voices of the creatures, the voices of the elders. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice, singular, that tells me there's unity also. You know, the Lord wants us to be in unity. In fact, Jesus prayed that we would be one as he and the Father are one, that we would be moving in the same direction with the same mind, the mind of Christ. And then verse 13, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth And such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. So what does John hear? What did did he see? Every living creature worshiping Jesus. I find it interesting, just kind of a note that every creature which is in heaven. Anybody else find that interesting? What kind of creatures are going to be in heaven? We know we know that horses will be there because we get to ride them back, don't we? Someone said there's cats. I, I didn't say it, because it's like, how do you get the strings for the harps? They said. I, I didn't say it, I just I'm repeating. But I think, the, I think the thing to take note of is creation recognizes Jesus' worth. Can you think about like dolphins praising the Lord? The little flipper, you know, praising Jesus? Camels, cats, dogs, whatever critter you got in your house. Listen, the animals are smart enough to worship Jesus. He is worthy of our praise. It's about him. We need to give him what he deserves, you guys. Is Jesus worth it? That's what worship means. It means to ascribe worth. When we worship him, we are saying, you are worth it, Lord. You are worthy. It also means, in Greek, the word worship means to lay before in complete submission. To lay down, is your heart laid down? Are you laid down in complete submission to Jesus? Have you given him control of your life? Are you still holding on? Are you truly worshiping him in spirit and in truth? If that's the case, then my life is bowed down to him in submission to his word, to his will. That's true worship, you guys. That's what the Father's looking for. For those that will worship him, they must worship him in spirit and in truth. It also means adoration. Do you adore Jesus still? Again, is is it still fresh to you what he's done, the sacrifice he's made to purchase you, to buy you, to convey you out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of his love? Is it still fresh to you? Have you become hardened or disenchanted or kind of like, oh, blah, blah, blah? Or are you still excited in in, in adoration of Jesus? Listen, Jesus is worthy to be worshiped Today, He is worthy to be worshipped because of who he is. Oh, it's great to worship him when we got, when things are going good, isn't it? Got a fat bank account. Your bank account's full. T- tummy's full. Belly's full. Yeah, praise the Lord. Worship you, Lord. Listen, he's worthy to be worshipped when you're walking through the valley of shadow of death no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are this morning, he is worthy. Not because of our circumstances, not because of our worth, but because of his worth. He is worthy. To be bowed down, to be submitted to, to adore, to give him, all, to give him our all, you guys. And I understand there's times when it's difficult to worship. You come in here, you're struggling. Maybe it's a sickness. Maybe it's a wayward child. Maybe it's a marriage that's jacked up. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you've lost hope. And you know what happens, though? When you choose to worship, you come in to sing praise to the Lord. You say, I'm going to do it. I will, I will let it rip for the Lord because He's worthy of it. You know what happens? He pours it right back into your heart, doesn't He? He pours it right... Peace and hope, and clarity, and order, and understanding. He lifts the burden. He helps you with the fear. And what does He do? He pours it right back into your life. He brings His comfort into your heart. And you choose not to. You choose to not worship. Guess what? You're missing out. You're missing out on God's best for your life. To praise Him, to thank Him, to adore Him. Because he is worthy all the time. When things are good and bad and everywhere in between, don't wait until heaven. Let's worship him now, amen? In Jesus' name, Lord, thank you so much. Lord, we love to sit in your presence and give you praise and thanks, to give to to you what is due to you, to stand in your presence and thank you and worship you.